Church, let's go ahead and pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to know that you are in complete control. You are worthy of all worship, adoration, and praise. Lord, indeed, it has been a trying year. And yet, God, we acknowledge your goodness through the midst of it all. Lord, we think of the words of Paul the Apostle in jail, captive and bound. And he would write to Timothy saying, Timothy, I am in chains, but the word of God is not bound. And so we're thankful even right now that we get to participate in the ministry of the word, knowing this, the word of God is not bound. Dear Lord, we do ask that you would bless your word right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope Markham, it's a privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. So grateful for his mercies. He's so good to us. Please go ahead, open up your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be in verses 8 to 13. And as you do, consider with me the power of promise. The power of promise. When a person leaves the realm of hopes and ambitions and dreams and enters into the place of promise, we begin to hold that person to a higher and greater standard. Promise. It's the reason why there's a difference between teenage puppy love romance that lasts for a week and the grizzled veteran 50-year-old couple who's been together for so long and proven true on their promise till death do us part. Promise. Promises are so massive, they are so powerful, in fact, that on the opposite end, when we lose sight of the promises that we have made and the promises made to us, things begin to go south very, very quickly. Nowhere more true is this than in our Christian lives, in our lives as the church. When we lose sight of the promises of our promise keeping God towards us, isn't it true that there's a decay and a decline that happens in our spiritual lives? Consider for yourself how many situations you and I have both been in because we forgot the promises of God. Perhaps even the promise we have forgotten most of all. And this day, at this hour, in this moment, is the promise of Christ's return. The Lord Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. I'm coming to take you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, I will come with the armies of heaven to bring in all of my elect into my kingdom. I'm coming again. And then the Lord says in Revelation 22, the second last verse of the Bible, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. Surely, surely I am coming. But right now, if you were to be honest with yourself, do you see the evidence of the decay and the decline in your life from losing sight of that promise? Are you filled with passion and love and a desire to see the Lord return? Or are you sort of apathetic? Are you eager and expectant for the Lord Jesus to come again? Or are you indifferent to the thought of Jesus returning? Maybe even right now, if you were to be honest The thought of Jesus fills you with a bit of anxiety. His return fills you with a bit of anxiety because, truth be told, it would put a wrench in all of your plans for, Lord willing, 2021. If that's where you are this morning, God's word has something to say to you. 
The Lord desires once again to tune our eyes, to re-engage our hearts, to revive us again so that we are focused on what matters most. That as we're walking into this new year, Lord willing, no matter what will happen, God desires this, that we will be people marked by a desire for the return of our Lord, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Please get to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be in verses 8 to 13. God has a word for us to bring you up to speed right now. In 2 Peter, this is Peter's second epistle. He's writing to a group of churches with the intention of, again, reminding them of what matters most. And in this case, it's the coming of Christ. Peter explains in this chapter so far that the Lord has promised to return, and yet people are scoffing just as they do in this day. They're disbelieving. They're doubtful. If Jesus is really coming, it's been 2,000 years, right? We recently just celebrated Christmas. Wonderful. And yet Jesus has still not come. Where is he? Peter was facing the same sort of questions in the first century. And he goes on now to answer in verses 4 to 7 that the world has not continued as it always has. And now in verses 8 to 13, he will explain to us why hasn't the Lord yet returned? And how should we live in light of the promise of his coming? So look at your Bible with me, Rome, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I'll read those two verses, and that will take us to our first point. 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and verse 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You can go ahead and write this down. Because Jesus has promised to come, I must remember, this is our first point, I must remember his timing is perfect. Because Jesus has promised to return, I must remember his timing is perfect. The perfect timing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 8. Peter begins with but. Any good Bible student knows when you see a conjunction like that, you're supposed to turn back, go back to the context that you previously read through. And as I just mentioned, Peter has just outlined for the people that the world has not continued as it always has. And it will not continue as it always has. In the prior times, judgment came through the flood of Noah. And there's a day coming when the Lord will return and there will be another judgment to come. Peter now wants to make it clear. Why hasn't the Lord come yet? Look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact. Don't miss this. This is the key to understanding why the Lord has not yet come. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now be careful. This isn't some sort of mathematical equation the same way we would say one dog year equals seven human years. Rather, what Peter is saying of the Lord in this passage is that our God is not bound by time. That to try and speak of God in terms of seconds, minutes, days, and years is silly, if not comical, because our God is infinite. Our God is not bound by anything. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. We cannot measure our God in time. He is this amazing. He is this incredible. Therefore, to try and speak of God as though he were late It doesn't make any sense. No, absolutely not. God is not bound by time, a day is but a thousand years in his sight, and a thousand years as but a day. 
Therefore, for that reason, look what Peter says in verse 9. The coming of the Lord has to be according to his perfect timing. He's not late. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. He's not late. He's not tardy. He's not behind schedule. But is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Plain and simple, why hasn't the Lord Jesus come already? Why has he not yet returned? It's because the Lord Jesus is not done saving souls. Plain and simple, the reason why Jesus has not yet come is because he's not done in the business of saving souls. Jesus is not done saving lives. See what the verse says, verse 9. He's not slow, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Consider this. The time since the Lord first came, his first advent, and then ascended back into heaven, that period of time till now is known as the last days. Why is it known as the last days? Because when Jesus comes, it will be the end point of history as we've known it. When the Lord Jesus comes the second time, he will not come as a babe in the manger, but he will come as the judge of all the earth. On that day, it will be the pinnacle, the summit of all of history. And as it says in Matthew chapter 25, when he returns the second time, he will divide humanity into two groups of people, the sheep and the goats, the repentant and the unrepentant, the believers and the unbelievers. You see, on that day when the Lord returns, it will be a day unlike any other. And on that day when he returns, he will judge the earth. He will judge each and every individual. He will evaluate our lives and he will judge us based on what we've done, how we've lived, how we've lived in reference to him ultimately. And for those who have rejected Jesus Christ, it will be a terrifying day unlike any other. The only way to escape this judgment, this furious judgment of the Lord against our evils and our sins is to repent. See what Peter says. He's not slow, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter says the reason why the Lord has not come is because he desires for his people to reach repentance. Consider again the context of our letter. Peter, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the churches. He's speaking to God's people. He's speaking to you and I. You see, when Peter refers to not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, he's referring to the immediate readers and any who will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's referring to his immediate readers and any who will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's referring to Christians. He's referring to you and I. So once again, to put it plain and simple, The Lord Jesus has not yet come because he's not done saving souls. Imagine this. Consider this. Some of us have been saved perhaps five years, 25 years, 30 years. And yet imagine if the Lord Jesus came a day before you reached the end of the road for you and you confessed Jesus as Lord. Imagine if he came a week before you confessed Jesus Christ as your God, as your Savior. While you were still in the throes of addiction, while you were still a pleasure seeker denying God, while you were still an atheist hating and blaspheming the name of Jesus, while you were still 
living in immorality, while you were still going about in all of your own disobedient ways? What would have been your end if Jesus had come a day before you were saved? It would have been destruction. It would have been hell. That's what our sins deserve. It would have been judgment. And yet consider this, that God, as he purposed and destined for the day of the Lord's return, purposed to set that day, not before you would be saved, but after you would be saved. The Lord loves you this much. Brothers and sisters, the Lord had you in mind as he set the day for the return of the Lord Jesus because he is not willing for you, Hope Markham, to perish. This is the love of our Savior. This is the grace of our God that he has you in mind even now. And perhaps you watching at home, you who are tempted to scoff, you who are tempted to disbelieve, hear this again. The Lord hasn't come even right now today December 27th, 2020, because he's still after souls. He's still after his people. He's still after you. The Lord desires for you to reach repentance, for you to confess your sins, to admit that you have done wrong against the king of the universe, that you have done evil in his sight, and that you deserve his judgment, to confess that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, that he died on the cross for your sins, to take your punishment, that he rose again on the third day, proving that he paid the price in full. The Lord's waiting for you to reach repentance. Don't wait. Don't put this off. Place your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Reach repentance and be saved. The Lord's coming, the promise of his coming, it's according to his perfect timing. And we see in this verse, it's according to his patient timing. And yet, at the same time, do not lose track of the urgency in this passage. Do not lose track of the, of the seriousness of this passage. Because, yes, our Lord is patient. And yet, know this, there's a day coming in which the patience of the Lord will reach a completion. There's a day coming in which the patience of God will reach a completion Because the Lord has promised to return, and therefore he must return. There's an urgency to this. You must repent and reach repentance today. Look at what it says in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Hear what Peter says. He says, but, again, that important word, the day of the Lord. That's Old Testament prophetic language used in the book of Isaiah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, all throughout the Old Testament prophets, speaking of the day of the Lord Jesus returning. And he says it's going to come like a thief. Think of the activity of a thief. When a thief wants to rob you, a thief doesn't call you up in the middle of the day and say, hey, man, just want to let you know, be stopping by your house around 3 a.m., I'm going to rob your car. All right, have a great day, bye. A thief doesn't do that. No, a thief strikes suddenly, a thief strikes unexpectedly, a thief comes quickly and robs you. And that's the same idea that Peter has in mind, that the Lord will come quickly, suddenly, when you do not expect it. And yet he will not come like a cat burglar who comes and steals your jewels, and it's a week later before you realize that you've been robbed of all your precious money and jewels. No, when the Lord comes this second time, He will come with a show of force of which we've never before seen. Look what verse 10 says. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away. The heavens, the sky, the stars, the moon, the sun, 
the cosmos, everything will pass away and they will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In the Old Testament, when the prophets speak of the day of the Lord, they use adjectives and descriptors such as this. It's a day of doom, a day of vengeance, a day of wrath, a day of judgment. On that day, the Lord will uncover everything you and I have ever done. The things that even right now, you dare not speak about the things that you are still living in, that you're still hiding, that you hope no one will ever imagine or think that you could ever be possible of doing. The Lord will uncover all of our works, everything in our lives, and he will examine us and he will judge us based on how we've lived. I hope you're beginning to feel the weight of what Peter is saying here. You must reach repentance. God is so serious. Will you be prepared for that day? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Are you prepared to meet your maker? Are you ready for the day in which you will stand before the God of heaven and earth? The Lord is again presenting you the opportunity right now to, to be made ready. Consider again Romans chapter 2 on the screen. Romans chapter 2 verses 4 to 8. Paul the apostle says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why is God, why has Christ not yet returned? Because he's being so kind to you. He desires you to reach repentance. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul says here, if you continue on, going on and on, unrepentant, undesirous to return to Jesus, it's as though you're storing away in a heavenly bank account wrath, and it's growing with compound interest, and one day it will be poured out on you in full. Do you realize the way you're living right now? Do you realize what is at stake? Paul keeps going, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. For you, believer, this is your hope. Keep going. Keep living faithfully. What awaits you is eternal life. Verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. These are sobering words. Words that ought to cause you to pause, to think, and to consider. Where do you stand with God? Are you prepared for the day of the Lord? It will come. The reason why Christ has not yet returned is because he's after you. Because he's calling you to himself. Do not reject him. Do not say that you're too busy, you're too young, you're too old, you're too far gone. All of those things, all of those excuses pale in the light of the love of God for you. In the light of the kindness of God towards you. Repent. Reach repentance today. And be saved from your sins. Let today be the day of your repentance. Peter explains to us the reason why Christ has not yet returned is because it's according to God's perfect timing. His timing that's determined by patience. Timing that's determined that will be sudden. And a timing that will be a time of judgment when he does return. 
Now, in the rest of our passage, verses 11 to 13, Peter will now explain to us, in light of this fact that the Lord is coming, according to his timing, how then should we live? Look now at verse 11. I'll read verse 11. That will take us to our second and our final point. It says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, all these things, what's he talking about? Everything, the whole world, the sky, the earth, everything. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? You hear that? He asked a rhetorical question, and now he's going to answer it in the same sentence. You've got to love that. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Peter says, how should you live in light of this fact that the Lord is coming and everything will be changed on that day? Everything will be revealed on that day. He says, the way you ought to live is in a life of holiness in a life of godliness. This leads us to our second, our final point. Because Jesus has promised to come, I must remember my calling is holiness. My calling is holiness and godliness. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? You ought to be people living lives, lives of holiness and godliness. I pray those are precious words to you. Believer, I pray that those are precious, precious words, that they haven't grown old, that they're not stale and just simply cliche. Holiness and godliness. Holiness brings to mind the idea of being set apart. It's the idea of not being common, but being sacred. It's the idea of being reserved for purity. Plainly put, it's the separation from worldly conduct and dedication to God through obedience. And then there's godliness. Godliness has this idea of character behind it. It's the character of God, godliness. It's the flourishing in the fruit of the spirit. It's the renunciation of selfish qualities and the increasing in Christ-like qualities. Holiness and godliness. It is your calling. Believer, this is your calling. This is the will of God for you. If you're wondering what's the will of God in this upcoming year for you, it's this, holiness. It's this, godliness. God is calling you to be nearer to him than ever before, to live for him, to live for what matters. But note this. This is not a calling to ritualism. This is not a calling to moralism. This isn't a calling to try hard. Rather, it's a calling to live out what you already are. It's a a calling to live out your new identity. Think about all throughout the New Testament. What does Paul call the people of God? He calls them saints, holy ones, holy people. This matches up with what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, where he calls us a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He calls us people who are holy to God. This is your new identity. You are a holy people. 1 Peter chapter 1 The Lord says of us that we are to live as children, obedient children. And then he goes on to say, how are obedient children of God to live? In holy conduct. 2 Peter chapter 1, the Lord tells us that God's divine power has been given to you in order for you now to live out everything necessary for life and for godliness. For you now to show forth the fruit of virtue and godliness and love, hope and faith and onwards. Brothers and sisters, God is calling you to a life of holiness. In light of this reality, the fact that Jesus is coming, what should be the greatest ambition in your life right now? It should be to live for the Lord. It should be to live closer and nearer to God. 
You see, the promise of Christ's return is the fuel you need for holiness and godliness. The same way a child who admires his father looks up to his dad and says, Daddy, I just want to be like you. That's the same way we as believers are to look at our God, to look at our Christ, our Messiah, and say, Dear Lord Jesus, please make me more and more like you. And consider again why Peter is saying this. He says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. <laughs> Do you get what Peter's saying? He's, he's, he's contrasting the temporal and the eternal. He's showing us on one hand, you can live for all these things in this world, but just know that it's going to dissolve, right? Like whatever iPhone you have, X, Y, Z, whatever iPhone you have right now, it's going to burn. Your car, brand new or old, it's going to burn. Your house. Some of you at home are like, man, my house has, needs so many renovations. Let it burn. It's going to burn. It will burn. For sure, it's guaranteed it's going to burn. It cannot last. Nothing in this life will last. And yet this, godliness and holiness will last. Holiness and godliness will last. The things of this world, they're of temporal value, but godliness and holiness are of eternal worth. Consider what Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8. He says, seek godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, put your, put your whole effort into training yourself to be more godly. Why? Because in comparison, if you were to train yourself, train your body to be big and strong, it's not bad to live a healthy lifestyle. It just won't last. But godliness... Godliness holds value for the present life and for the life to come. Pursue godliness, brothers and sisters. Pursue it. Think now of holiness. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that without holiness, without the holiness, no one will see God. No one will see the Lord. Think to yourself, how could the writer of Hebrews say that? The reason he says that is because holiness is the evidence that we truly are Christians. It's the evidence that we truly are Christ followers. To speak of an unholy Christian is an oxymoron. It's like talking about a short giraffe. No, that doesn't exist. No, giraffes are always tall. And yes, Christians are always to be living and pursuing holiness and godliness. No, we're not perfect. But what is the trajectory of your life? What is the destination of your life? What is the trajectory? Is it towards greater holiness, greater godliness, or are you apathetic to your life? In Christ, are you apathetic to the reality that God's calling you to live a holy and godly life? Brothers and sisters, the word of God today challenges you and I both to consider, are we taking seriously our personal holiness and godliness? In the light of the return of Jesus, this imminent return, this sure and steadfast truth, the Lord will return, are you pursuing holiness and godliness? Because God's word is calling us to do so. Truth be told, little concern for holiness and godliness shows little concern for the coming of Jesus. Little concern for the return of Jesus results in a little concern for holiness and godliness. Brothers and sisters, maybe today is a day of repentance for you, where you admit that you have been more so conformed to this world rather than being transformed, rather than being renewed. Maybe today is a day where you acknowledge before the Lord that you have been compromising and that you repent and say, Lord, please, once again, remind me. Remind me again. You are coming, and what matters most is to live for you. 
Brothers and sisters, let that be your aim, to live for Christ because he's coming. And what matters most to him in your life is that you would live a life conformed to him, growing greater and greater in holiness and godliness. Let that now be the new way in which you judge your life. Not to to question and say, oh, am I allowed to do this? But rather ask the question of whatever opportunities before you, ask the question, will this help to promote my personal holiness and godliness? Or will this detract from my personal holiness and, and godliness? Will this action, will this decision help to promote the personal holiness and godliness of our whole church? Or will it serve to detract from it? Consider that even when you think to yourself, when you wake up in the morning, will I run to Instagram on my phone or will I pick up my Bible and seek the Lord in prayer? Will I be near to my God or will I run to social media? Which one will promote holiness and godliness? When there's a prayer meeting online and you want to watch Netflix, which one will help to promote holiness and godliness in your life? Let that be the new standard of how you live your life. Paul explains to us holiness and godliness is the calling of the Christian. And now he's going to give us three characteristics of the holy and godly life. The person who lives in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus, in light of the promise of Christ's return. Now he's going to show us in the remaining few verses, three characteristics of the person who's living a holy and godly life in light of the return of Jesus. He says in verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. What sort of lives ought ought you to live in holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Peter gives us the first two characteristics. The first one is a holy anticipation. The second one is a holy urgency. Peter says, waiting for, waiting for the day of God. Brothers and sisters, this is to be our preoccupation to wait for, to look for earnestly, to desire the kingdom of God with eagerness, awaiting the Lord's return. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew 25 when he compares the foolish virgins to the wise virgins who were watching, who were ready, who were expecting the return of the bridegroom. We ought to be the same and consider what Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch, wait, desire the Lord's return. Let that be your preoccupation. A holy anticipation and then likewise a holy urgency. Waiting for, verse 12, look at your Bible. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the the day of God. Hastening. Hastening means to speed up. It means to to bring about, to bring about quickly. Peter says, we as believers play a part in waiting for and also hastening the day of the Lord. Right there, we see in Scripture that dual reality of God's sovereignty, that God has sovereignly ordained the day of the Lord's return, and yet simultaneously, man's responsibility, that we have a part in playing in hastening and bringing about the day of the Lord. How is that possible? Two ways, praying thy kingdom come and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Think of what the Lord teaches us in Matthew 6. He teaches us how to pray. And second to the prayer of hallowed be your name is what? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And what is the prayer of your kingdom come other than a prayer for the king to return? The kingdom comes when the king returns. They're one and the same. And Jesus taught us to pray with this in mind. Pray for the return of the Lord. 
Brothers and sisters, evaluate your prayers according to the priorities of God. This is God's priority for you, that we would be people engaged and gripped with the return of the Lord, praying, please, Lord, 2021, please, Lord, return. Wouldn't we be that people? Hope Markham, would you be that people praying for the Lord's return? Jesus himself taught us to pray that way. Pray thy kingdom come. And secondly, preach the gospel of the kingdom. This is the holy urgency. Consider again, earlier in our passage, verse 9, Peter tells us the reason why Christ has not yet returned is because there's souls still who need to be saved. Think about that. Maybe the person even now that comes to your mind, your mother-in-law who you, you, you look at her and, and she's so sick and she's not well, and your heart grieves because you know soon she'll have to meet her maker and potentially she's not ready. Do not lose heart. Continue to remain faithful in praying for her. Continue to remain faithful in telling her of the good news of Jesus. Plead for her soul to be saved. Who's to say that she's not the one we're waiting upon before the Lord will return? Your son at home who's wayward and you look at him and he grieves your heart. Do not give up. Continue to pray. Continue to tell him of Jesus. Continue to show him the love of Christ. Who's to say? Who's to say he's not the one we're waiting upon before the Lord will return? Our God is so willing to save. He's not done. He's not done with the business of saving souls. Even right now, he has not come because he's still after his people. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Pray that kingdom come. Peter shows us the first two characteristics, a holy anticipation, a holy urgency. And finally, as we conclude, Look what Peter says now. He'll show us a holy destination. That we're to be a people desiring and longing for a holy destination. Peter says in the rest of verse 12, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Peter really wants us to get this. He really wants us to get this. None of this will last. And in light of that, he says this, but according to his promise, the promise of Christ's return, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter says all of this will melt, it will burn, it won't last, but we're looking towards a new heavens. We're looking towards a new earth where righteousness dwells. Imagine that. Where righteousness dwells, a place, a heaven and earth where goodness will reign where peace and love are the rule, where justice and freedom and equity will be the law of the land, where fairness and honor will be the norm. What a marvelous place to look forward to. And yet consider right now, why do we have to look forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells? The reason being is because the current heavens and the current earth is not a place of righteousness. This earth, this world is not a place of goodness and justice. It is a place of unrighteousness, of evil, of exploitation, a place filled with pain, suffering, disaster, disease, and death. You see, the world we're living in right now has been tainted and corrupted by sin because its inhabitants, you and I, have been tainted and corrupted by sin. 
It's filled with a humanity that does not desire God, that is sinful and rebellious. And therefore, this world and its occupants are destined to meet a God of fire. Brothers and sisters, I want to urge you right now not to put your hope in this world, not to put your hope in this life. I say to you right now, on the basis of God's word, if your greatest hope is that this vaccine will totally eradicate COVID-19 and life will be able to go back to normal as it previously was, I say this humbly and I say this graciously, and yet I say it on the authority of the word of God, you will be disappointed. The reason being is because since the day of Adam's fall, there has always been disease. And if this one goes, there will come another one. If your hope is that governments will lay down their arms and join together in peace, I say to you again on God's word, you will be disappointed. As long as men long for power, there will be dictators. There will be those people and those governments who will oppress the very people they were called to protect. If your great hope is that social activism will uproot the hatred found in man's heart and people from different ethnicities and cultures and heritages will once again come together in perfect peace and harmony, you will not find that fulfilled in this life and in this world. Because within the heart of man is not harmony and love towards fellow man, but is hatred, it is distrust, it is sin. You see, as long as this heavens and this earth is filled with people who do not want God, as long as this world and this heaven and earth is filled with a Satan, a devil who's prowling about, blinding people, devouring people, as long as this world is filled with a humanity that despises the laws of God, this world and this heavens cannot be a place of righteousness. And for that reason, this world is destined for fire. And a sinful and rebellious mankind is destined for fire. But hear this, Christian. This is not your destiny. For us believers, this is not our destiny. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, That we are not destined for destruction, but we are destined to reach eternal life through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do not place your hope in this world. Do not place your hope in this life. Rather, instead, look to the blessed hope. Look to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not look for this world to fulfill your desires, but look to Jesus. Look to the coming of the Lord. This is to be your hope. Finally, in Revelation chapter 21, it says on the screen for you, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
Brothers and sisters, this is your holy destination. This is where we're to look to. Brothers and sisters, discouraged saint, you who are downtrodden and weary, look to this, this reality. Do you desire a place without death, disease, sorrow, pain? What you desire is the Lord's return. What you desire is the kingdom of God. Even you right now who are tempted still to disbelieve, don't you realize everything you're looking towards that you want in this life will not be found in this world. It will be found in the world to come with the God there who will dwell with his people. The heavens and earth, the new heavens and the new earth, it will be a place of peace and love and grace and justice. Why? Because the God of peace and the God of love and the God of justice, the God of grace, he will be with his people there. And the only way for you to have access to that kingdom is to reach repentance, to reach repentance today. And if you do that, you will not have to fear the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, consider again, the Lord is coming. Again, the apostle John, John the Revelator, would end the scriptures, the last few verses of the Bible, saying this, surely the Lord is coming. The Lord says this, surely I am coming soon. I'm coming And John says in response, and we say in response, come Lord Jesus, amen, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the promise of your coming. You call us, Lord, to look to you, to trust in you, to place our hope in you, And in nothing else, please, Lord, convict us that we would not be grumbling in the midst of difficult times, but rather we would be people who know there are better times to come, that we are looking to a better country, to a new Canaan. We're looking to the Lord's return and the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, in the meanwhile, help us to live lives of holiness. Help us to live lives of godliness. Help us to live lives dedicated to you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.